We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethay, joined here by my Dog Nation buddies, Scott the Stat Assassin and Dr. J. Scott, tell the people what's up. If you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. <laughs> and Dr. J, tell the people what's up, man. Defense wins championships. Yeah, baby. So we are still sky high off of the uh, UGA National Championship victory over Alabama. I have gone rewatched games. I've rewatched uh, documentaries on our season. And it's still awesome. So it is not worn off yet for me. So, but uh, it is now the second season, which is recruiting. And I, you know, I've said this before, Scott, you've heard me say this, Jonathan, you probably heard me say this too, but there are two sports seasons in Georgia. There is football and spring football and recruiting is essentially the spring football season. So here we go back into the fire talking about Georgia recruiting. And I'm going to let you guys, Scott, this is an area where I know you really excel, Jonathan. You are really good knowing the roster, so I kind of like to defer to you guys on these things and throw in a little bit of my player evaluations as we go. So, Scott, I'm going to let you take the point on this, and you and Jonathan, tell the people what to think about this recruiting class. Yeah, so the, the basic logistics, uh, yesterday, first Wednesday in February, was the quote-unquote national signing day, which – is the traditional National Signing Day, is now the not-that-important, a little bit of leftover hurrah signing day. Uh, still some big <laughs> things happen, yeah. uh, but mostly, you know, a lot of the haze in the barn. Uh, but now that things are 99-plus percent decided, you can really get into actually talking about, you know, the, the results and everything. Because there are a few big-name guys that wait a few extra months till February to make their decision. And, you know, just because there's always a few people that say recruiting doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. Damn one. It's one rated class. And that class did not win a national title at some point is 2008. That's Florida, by the way, just in case anybody was curious. But, yeah, so it's been 14 years since a number one recruiting class did not win at least wow. one national title in, in their tenure. That is unreal. Yeah, so it's very important. If you get a number one recruiting class, you are almost guaranteed to win a national title mm. in the next four years. Mm. It can be a little misleading. Since 2010, Alabama and Georgia were the only teams that had signed number one classes. Right. <laughs> so you had a string of right. Alabama just always signed the number one. Georgia interrupted that. And then you have this year where Texas A&M actually came in with the number one overall class is that right scott did did you say since 2010 it's only been alabama or georgia yeah o ohio state and clemson have never had number one recruiting classes in the 2010s yeah clemson hasn't i don't i ohio state has had a number of years where they've been at a very mm -hmm. elite level right and it's just barely happened i think and this is like the composite ranking so you can mm -hmm. find yeah, yeah, a yeah. given site right uh, but there was a number of years where I think it was basically Alabama 1A and Ohio State 1B. Okay. Yeah. And, and in that case, Ooh. it doesn't really matter. Mm -mm. You know, there's there's some number thresholds for the class rating, not the ranking, but the rating. Right. Where, you know, okay, this is where this stacks up all time. It's not necessarily the best class that year, but it's still really high. That's like having a number one class. It's just like any sort of draft scenario, right? Mm -hmm. The number one draft pick 
from one year to the next isn't always exactly the same. Some years, the third or fourth pick is still a Hall of Fame, no doubt guy. In some years, there's none of those. This is one of those no. years. <laughs> this is one of those years. That's why it got mentioned. So going into the rankings real quickly, Texas A&M at number one, and we choose 247 as our side of choice. I think they have the best rankings. They have the most accurate. They have the best data, I think. We all think ESPN's kind of whack um, with the way they rank, so we will not be using their rankings. But 247 composites a lot of the other sites as well. So number one, Texas A&M. Number two is Alabama. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Ohio State. And one of the things we're going to point out about Georgia class, they have 29 commits, which is an extraordinarily large class. Extremely large class. We'll come back to that. Um, number five is Texas. Number six is Penn State. Number seven, Notre Dame. Number eight, Oklahoma. Number nine, Michigan. And number tw- number 10, it's interesting, is North Carolina. Mac Brown can always recruit, and he's recruiting well there. Just so you understand the SEC conference rankings, yes, the SEC did go one, two, and three in the recruiting nationally, which is just absurd. Um, LSU finished fourth in the conference. Kentucky at fifth in the conference. Missouri, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt. And, Scott, you put an interesting note in our show notes here that despite finishing last in the SEC, Arkansas finished 31st – excuse me, Vanderbilt finished 31st nationally, which is extremely good for them. That's yeah, that's very good for them and also Golly. tells you a lot about the strength mm-hmm. of the conference and the recruiting. Mm-hmm. And it's why the SEC is – traditionally you know the best conference year in year out right now top to bottom there's just too many good players to put this in context half of the top 30 of the country are sec schools yeah it's 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 crazy and i mean and just by that one stat alone i mean vanderbilt at the bottom of the sec rankings makes a national story by how high their class is (laughs) and texas a&m at the top is the story of the day of course i mean they they are definitely the new kid on the block here um and uh, I mean, truly a historic class. And Georgia, Alabama did what they always did. Um, I mean, just another absolutely dominant year for the SEC in recruiting. It's amazing. And real quickly, because I do know we have some tech friends that listen to this podcast, and I have two former players at Tech, so I do want to give them some love. You might want to skip them then. ACC <laughs> <laughs> rankings: North Carolina, Clemson, Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Duke, Georgia Tech, Louisville, NC State, Virginia, Syracuse. Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. So Tech finished eighth in the ACC in recruiting uh, with a class that finished, I think, Scott, you had it listed at 53rd, and mm-hmm. that is back to Paul Johnson territory. And that includes the loss of several high-profile players like, oh, I don't know, Jameer Gibbs, who's the best recruit they've had in a very, very long time. So not looking good in the flats for my boys over there. Well, we'll see. But that's their problem. We got national championship problems. So uh, some of the biggest surprises for you guys to this point. The biggest actual surprise, because there's not really that many surprises these days in recruiting. It's covered so much. The actual real surprise is one that happened back in December. And that was the number Mm. one overall player in the nation, Travis Hunter, spurned Florida State, despite being a lifelong Florida State fan growing up wanting to play there for Jackson State and Deion Sanders. Yeah, and that was earth-shattering, as we all know. Getting text, my getting text from my players, getting text from other coaches is like, did you see what happened? Like what? Yeah. So uh and can we also talk about AM having not just the number one class this year, but the highest ranked composite class since they've been tracking this and what which has what been what about 15 years or so? I mean, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? And that, I, well, the answer to that, of course, David, with all due respect to Jimbo Fisher, <laughs> is Not is NIL. NIL, of course. Oh, and, you and said truly, it, I mean, We do we do want to be respectful. I mean, Coach Fisher is is downright offended that anyone would even suggest <laughs> that NIL had anything to do with the success of their class. That dude went in. I mean, he dropped yeah. bombs. He was he was trying too hard for sure. And yeah. and one of the reasons is this, right? Name, image, and likeness is totally legal. Mm-hmm. It is also still officially not allowed to be a recruiting tool. Right. And coaches and the university are not allowed to be involved. Uh, yeah. So he's pushing back on that because he doesn't want anybody to come sniffing around and look too closely and be able to say, Oh, they actually were more involved than they're supposed to be. Yada, yada. Not that NCAA can do anything. And NCAA is practically dead at these, at this point in time anyway, but yeah, to pretend like it had no effect, like you said, John, it's ridiculous. It's pretty laughable. We all know that the bag men have just gone from giving stuff McDonald's bags to writing checks above board. That's all it's changed. Um, so. Yeah. They're writing a check that's, that has McDonald's on it. Yeah. Like, oh, this is McDonald's <laughs> yeah, exactly. paying you. Yeah. But legitimately, and, I mean, th- that really was, I think, the source of both of the really big surprises we've talked about so far. I mean, I don't follow recruiting deep enough to tell you exactly the NLO strings that were pulled at Texas mm-hmm. A&M or maybe even at Jackson State. Um, but I think most, most people are attributing, you know, that truly tectonic shift in the college football world Good word. Um, to, you know, these two really big surprises that, um, you know, you just, you just really wouldn't have seen uh, without the NIL roles. Yeah. I think part of it at Texas A&M, it's a, a couple things happening all at once. Part of it is Jimbo was a good recruiter at Florida state. He's been doing a good job recruiting at Texas A&M the last three years in no specific order. They finished like fourth, sixth, eighth, something like that. So they've been recruiting at about a number five national level, right? So it's not like NIL got them from 25th up to number one. They were already right, kind of right. going to be mm-hmm. about fifth. The other thing is they have a lot of oil money. This is well known, right? So when all of a sudden mm-hmm. the floodgates open, the fan base that's sitting there with a lot of oil money that's they're doing pretty well right now, is going to be ready to spend a little bit faster and more aggressively than other other people might be. From what I've heard, they have done a pretty good job of sort of having it set up of like multi-year contracts where it's sort of like, hey, you'll get this much in your first year, this much in your second, this much in your, in your third year, this much in your fourth year. So they had people that were already willing to commit years into the future. Which is smart so you don't end up with a Quinn Ewer situation. Yeah, it's smart for multiple reasons, right? Because it really shows that they're committed to that and the athlete knows that that's going to be repeatable, not just mm-hmm. a one-off, oh, we mm-hmm. got you here, now it dries up. And it's a good approach if you don't want all your guys to just make a ton of money and roll out. The other thing, too, is Oklahoma having a coaching change didn't hurt, right? And LSU having a coaching change did not hurt. Mm-hmm. Guess what happens? There was a defense. There was a five-star defensive tackle who switched to AM. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the difference between greatest class of all time and a normal number one class or the number three class is one big time guy from Oklahoma 
one or two big time guys that maybe go to LSU, one or two big time guys that you got the edge on because of NIL. And that's how you get there, right? To go from like a normal top notch class to an all time great is that mm-hmm. handful of extra three or four big time players. And I think it'll be interesting to see if the NL, if the NIL playing field is leveled over the next few years. By that, I mean if the market kind of self corrects. Like if people stop giving these insane amounts to these freshmen that may or may not ever play, especially a quarterback where we know most highly recruited quarterbacks, half of them don't play at the schools they're recruited to. 80, 80%. Is it 80%? They okay. transfer before their career is over. I knew that you had, I knew you had the number. That's why I get the status asking, but like maybe it's a four, like the four year deal. That seems like a really genius move. So before we get comp- completely off the rails because this is a good discussion um and i can talk about nil nil a lot more but jay give me two things you really like about this recruiting class for georgia sure well certainly i mean uh, the, the crown jewel is mikhail williams um and he not only do i like mikhail williams as a football player I like that he is from my father's alma mater, Hardaway High School uh, in, Columbus. in Columbus, Georgia, believe it or not. Have family from um, there too. What's the, what did you say? I actually have family from there too. No joke. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad was born and raised. Um, also, shout out to my cousins who went to Shaw uh, in, in Columbus. Um, but anyway, uh, he really, in, in a year where I think you could say um, it wasn't just like hands down unanimous that there was an overall number one player in the country. Um, you, you can find national analysts who might tell you that Mikhail Williams was the best player in the country, um, in this class. I I heard one say it today on something I was listening to. Um, so boy, you know, finding those defensive line talents, uh, continues to be tough for Georgia, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I would, we do it again. Um, so, I mean, from a player standpoint, uh, that's one of the things I like the most. Um, you know, maybe from a position group standpoint, I mean, certainly the, the defense as a whole, um, I, you, you probably could put our, our defensive class up yeah. against anybody yeah. else's defensive class um, this year or almost any year, yeah. but especially the secondary, um, you know, uh, an area where we needed so much help anyway. Um, and we'll probably need uh, some of these guys to be contributing um, in the 2022 season. Um, we put together an absolutely uh, bonkers uh, class of recruits for the secondary. Um, so, I mean, those are the two things that jump right off. I, I'm sure we'll talk some about, um, you know, Branson Robinson and Gunnar Stockton yeah. just from a from a skill standpoint, um, but uh, also positions of need where, you know, we we needed some depth and um, and I think they can provide that hopefully. Yeah. Scott. Yeah, I mean, my my two positives were really just the defensive group as a whole. Like mm-hmm. Jonathan said, the defensive class we brought in is really, really good. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, quarterback, running back, and tight end, tight end yeah. are all groups where we brought in some guys that are really good players and and in the exact kind of right numbers of those. Um, a wide receiver and offensive line mm. brought in a number of guys at both of those groups. Um by some of our standards, the recruiting was maybe a little more hit or miss yeah. at those positions. Yeah. Um, it, we'll see. Those are also some positions where, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the coaches really liked some of those guys in camp, that kind of thing. And so some of those guys might be a little bit better 
than their ranking. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you don't also want the one big five-star clear-cut sure thing to go with them, right? Yeah, for every George Pickens, you got to find a lad McConkie. I mean, in all seriousness. Like, yeah. George Pickens was a slam dunk recruit. He was as good as we thought he would be. And then you have a lad McConkie who's a late offer and ends up being a huge contributor for your national championship team. And right. I have to say this, that we've recruited some guys late in the recruiting cycle receiver that have turned into stuff that we didn't necessarily think they would be. Adani Mitchell, I don't think anybody thought would be as good as he was as a freshman. McConkie was a guy we offered late. And I remember you and I talking about him. Um Scott and like we've we've got a pretty good record with finding those guys and of course you have misses uh Matt Landers was a miss uh Justin Robinson was just okay you always have guys like that but I think we have I would say that we have a pretty good record of turning some of these not uh headliner recruits at receiver into pretty good players and that's true for a lot of positions yeah so it's not even really just receiver really kind of across the board we've had a really good success rate with three-star guys Mm. during Kirby's time and part of that is because we've been very successful at recruiting. So when we're taking a three-star guy, it's not really because he's our 12th option at that position. Mm-hmm. It's really because he's our seventh option at that position, even though he's rated way lower than that. And I feel like it's also worth mentioning that there can be just so much variation in the quality and talent level of three-stars. You have to think the difference between Jordan Davis as a three-star, who ends up being an All-American, and Latavius Brini, a three-star who ends up being a solid contributor. And sometimes the evaluations for certain three-stars can be lower than they should be for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes the rankings are low because there's just a lack of data. And that's 247 is big on that. And so sometimes a guy will have a big senior year, have really good numbers like production, you know, rushing yards, sacks, whatever, but they haven't been to a camp and gotten actual official measurables. They haven't gotten actual times. Nobody at 247 has seen them in person in a camp setting against good competition. So that's a perfect segue into the question that I have as our last question. Who will and should contribute for next year? At the top of the list, I think all of us had written down Branson Robinson. Now, funny story. This is a game Scott and I like to play where Scott will send me random huddle highlights of a player that I've never heard of because I don't fall recruiting that closely. And I'll be like, Bethay, where would you rank this kid? I watched 75 seconds of Branson Robinson. I said, that's a five-star running back. What's he actually ranked? And you said three stars. And I about spit out my water. (laughs) And I was like, there's no way. That kid looks like Nick Chubb. And I think, Scott, what did that last? About three weeks until he got got another star? Yeah. So that was the point in the cycle where I think his recent highlights and film had kind of popped up. And it was right before – I think the recruiting rankings do their next cycle of updates kind of thing. So yeah. it was a kind of deal where he was a three-star and everybody knew that he was going way up. And the question is just basically, Hey, is he going to be a four-star or a five-star two yeah. weeks from now? Cause yeah, like you said, it's very obvious. You watch the film already has like a, you know, developed, you know, you know, Nick Chubb looking yeah, he physique, does. right? Yeah. So yeah, he's a guy that should contribute he's probably not like he's going to really start a whole lot of games, Mm -hmm, right? You have other good running backs, but you get carries out of your third or fourth running back, you know, and that's probably where he'll be. I'm going to make a bold prediction that Branson Robinson ends up being the next 1000 yard rusher here at UGA. I think the last one we have is Deandre Swift, but I think that he is like that prototypical old school bell cow back. He's listed at 510, 220 coming out of high school. And if you've seen any pictures of him, he looks every pound of it. Um, Big question here is going to be his long speed. 
I think he looks like a four or five or maybe faster kid on film, but we'll see what he times. Either way, I think he's got the chance to be the best pro prospect we've had in the last few years, better than Zeus and James Cook, who will both be professional running backs, but I think he's got a little bit higher ceiling than them. Um, probably a higher ceiling than Kenny McIntosh. And the verdict is still out on Kendall Milton. I think Milton could end up being a pretty strong pro prospect. But yeah, he is someone that will be an immediate contributor. Thank Kendall Milton. That's a freshman, not Dejon Edwards. The other guy we recruited, uh, that's, I forget his name. The other four-star running back we recruited, I cannot, Aaron, was Paul, something Paul. I can't An- think of Andrew name. Paul. Thank he's you, Andrew Paul. Three, he's actually a three-star three star. guy. He'll be this year's Dejon Edwards. And I think he's actually better than Dejon Edwards, but mm-hmm. he'll be the guy that looks amazing in garbage time. And then if he's not starting next year, we'll go play somewhere else in the SEC. But I think Branson Robinson is probably top of my list to contribute next year because I think I can almost guarantee you he will get carries as the number three running back behind uh, Milton and McIntosh. You'd uh, you'd written out Oscar Delp, who I got a good look at. Um, the dude is a wide receiver in a tight end's body. He's got that mm-hmm. skill set, routes, hands, speed. If not for Brock Bowers, I would say he's the best pass-shaping tight end prospect we've had in years. As it is, he's great value, Brock Bowers. And that's very high praise. Yeah, we, we have a couple more great value, Brock Bowers, lined up for like the next couple of years of recruiting really? too, I think. Yeah, so they're going to keep on rolling in. But, I mean, they won't all be Brock Bowers. Right. That I mean, was a stupid level. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so, had you guys watched Mikhail Williams' highlights? Because I had not until mm-hmm. about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. So, I'm a little late to the party here. Yeah. Yeah. He he's good at football. That's the scouting report. A large human being. He's a very large he, human being. His his high school his high school highlights yeah. do remind me a little bit of Jadavion Clowney's hmm. highlights. I mean, I just just the the difference in I mean his his physical and athletic ability uh compared uh to the poor human beings who who were tasked with blocking him. Um I mean that's that's kind of that's kind of what it what it reminded me of. Uh he he was that dominant. Um yeah, it's, it's something to watch. Just a few thoughts on him. He has really good gap integrity. I'm sitting there watching him, and they would run plays away from him. And he's getting a down block, so a block that's going away from him. I watched him step down, squeeze the down block, and then hit the puller and spill the play. And I'm like, wow, he's got good technique. Or it's a it's an inside – it's a it's a stretch play away, and the quarterback's pulling the ball, and he's sitting right there and see got waiting the quarterback to come back. And I know I'm talking a lot of football lingo, but my point being like, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's actually been coached and he used his hands. Yeah. And I was like, it, the, between that and the physical profile, yeah, that's what a five star looks like. I mean, it's all you can say. And I don't think he's quite as twitchy as a clowny, but I mean, no. still a no, plus not. athlete, but for sure, for sure, a plus athlete. And I wrote in my notes, I think he's going to play the Trayvon Walker role, being a heavy D end on rundowns and then kicking inside and pass rushing on uh, pass downs. And Scott, you had put there, he's, he's not a Trayvon Walker type athlete, but. He's going to be very good immediately. He will play next year. I mean, I don't think there's any question. He'll play next year. Yeah. And and he's, you know, much more polished from like a technique standpoint oh, gosh, yes. than Trayvon Walker was at yeah. this point. And every prospect's a little bit different. Um, but they're similar size. We'll play some similar positions and roles. He I know Michael Williams has at times been trying to slim down and wanting to stay kind of slim so that he mm-hmm. can be more on the edge. There's more money and and yeah. you know glamour in sex, right? Um, so you know he might be 
he might play 10 or 15 pounds lighter than Trayvon Walker and yeah. occasionally stand up on the edge, but really just to rush. He's not going to make his money doing that, watching him. Unless you come up with like a Gregory Rousseau plan where you have packages where he rushes the inside. I'm not saying he can't be a successful edge rusher, but this guy's ticket, I think, is going to be versatility. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's 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 like a Terrell Suggs kind of edge rusher. That's a good comparison. It's like he technically stands up. So, like, in theory, he could be in coverage, but he's just always, like, 100% playing the run a full speed downhill or rushing the basket. Jay, is that really... what you think, too? Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see what direction, you know, coaches go with him. I, I would actually think of him as maybe coming to college wanting to get more good weight on him. Um, and yeah. I would actually think of him probably as somewhat, like, playing maybe heavier than Walker, but not as heavy as, like, Devontae Wyatt. Yeah, like like somewhere in between those two um, is kind of what I think would be his his sweet spot, especially long term. He he has the frame for that, but mm-hmm. I do know that over the past he has already done the drop ten pounds instead of gain ten mm-hmm. pounds thing. Mm-hmm. Now that being mm-hmm. said, at the All American game, the Army All American game, where he was very very good and made all the oh. other All Americans look like they weren't very good. Yeah, he was playing only down linemen, a lot of like. Yeah. D end on early downs, move over to the inside on passing downs. Yep. Okay. And he was, yeah, uh, the combination of having the appropriate size along with good technique, good strength, and good quickness. Like he's a guy that is not going to go, I don't think, run some blazing 40 time mm-hmm. and like wow you with that. that. But his first step, first five, 10 yards, very quick. Very quick, but not as quick as Christian Miller. And so in that next group of guys that we talked about playing a lot, Christian Miller, Sean Washington, and Bear Alexander, and hopefully I'm saying all those names right. I watched Bear Alexander's first, and I wrote, and I thought I was pretty impressed. And then Scott, you're writing in the notes, he might be the worst of the three. And I'm just kind of like, oh, ha, ha. And then I watched the other two, and I was like, okay. So Bear Alexander is just what his name says. He's just a huge monster of a human being. He's listed at 6'4", 340. He looks bigger than that. He looks more like 6'5", 370. So I don't know. He's just a huge, massive human being. He can move well. Uh, you're going to hear Jordan Davis comparison. Scott will tell you they're not accurate, but you're going to hear him just to be prepared. But I watched him, and then I went and watched Washington, who has better pad level and just these violent hands. When Washington comes with the ball, you just see guys go flying backwards. Um, you probably see these 230-pound offensive linemen trying to block him in high school, and you feel sorry for those kids. It's borderline but child you abuse just, what he does. You just look at the headshot for Sean Washington, and you're like, <laughs> That is a mean dude from L- from uh, Louisiana, and he can play defensive line. Like, now, he's a three-star, and I didn't realize that because, you know, me, I don't pay attention. I watched film, and I was like, oh, this guy's good. And then you look at it, he's like a three-star, and I was like, this is not a three-star defensive lineman. This guy looks like a four-star defensive lineman, and he's about 6'3", 290-ish. Um, you, were, you had said, Scott, that he got displaced by a hurricane in your notes, and that's probably a big part of why he was recruited. He didn't get a single year. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of why mm, the yeah. ranking I think was low. There were still other good schools recruiting him. We, uh, from reading the tea leaves, a few months back, we kicked a much higher rated four star defensive lineman to the curb to have room for Sean Washington. Wow. Okay. So yeah, we clearly believe in him more than that. And like you said, if you just watch the film, yeah, you're like, yeah, he's he's better than that. That doesn't mean he's like a five star guy, but he's no, he's not, but. Then Christian Miller, holy crap. I watched about 60 seconds, and I was like, don't need to see anymore. And I watched a little bit of him this year at Cedar Grove because that's a school that played some schools. There's some crossover this year with schools we played. 
holy crap. Like we're talking about like Ed Oliver speed off the ball. Like that's what he looks like. And that's, that's high praise. And for Georgia fans, if you're not familiar, think like Jalen Carter, but even quicker, like that's not an exaggeration. I mean, he's going to play. These guys are going to play like, especially Washington Miller. They're going to play. They're going to play, and it's not an exaggeration what you just said. I mean, you, you never know, you know, where you have a miss and, and where you have a hit. But, I mean, the the three guys you just mentioned, then, but plus Williams, of course, um, they all have a little bit of a different skill set. Like, all that. of them are yeah. really, really good at something that maybe, you know, none of the other three are quite elite at. And, um, it, you know, there's a tendency, of course, to go ahead and automatically compare – you know, mm-hmm. incoming freshmen, two guys that just left. But truly, I mean, if they pan out, even even most of the way, uh, you really could have yeah. kind of a repeat of the defensive yeah. line group that we just lost. <laughs> um, and true. they all really they really complement each other. I mean, they, they could, you know. And if anybody was the Devontae White of the group since we're making these comparisons, it's probably Washington, yeah. who has the little bit of mix of power and speed. Obviously, you can make the Jordan Davis comparison with Alexander and then Jalen Carter comparison with Miller. So if we're talking about that, that's kind of what you're getting. And like you said, mm-hmm. each with a little bit something different that they do well. And before we run out of time, you'll touch real quickly. Malachi Starks is like one of the biggest wild cards in this class. If you are familiar with him, people listening, he was an option quarterback, quarterback in name only at Jefferson High School. He ran the triple option. I, he might have thrown three passes a game. He was a running back. Okay, that's what he was. Mm-hmm. And they'd even split him out and throw him the ball. Played some safety, and safety is a really hard evaluation from high school kids because the high school schemes are so diverse. Some safeties are basically linebackers. Others are single high guys that do nothing but play center field and tackle. He played in a two-eye scheme where you could actually see him doing some real college-type things. He is a big athletic guy. He's about 6'1", 205-ish. And so he is the perfect body type, archetype for that star spot. He's not really a hybrid. He's really just a big safety. Think like back when Michigan had, oh God, what's his Jabril name? Jabril Peppers. Thank you, Jabril Peppers. Peppers. Jabril yeah. Peppers. They're is very like similar. That's why it was loaded. Ideal star. Is that what you, what you said, said again, Scott? I would say they're very similar. That's why that was loaded. And yeah, we knew who you were yeah. thinking of. So that's the kind of athlete you're getting here. That guy that can slide down in the slot, play man coverage, and then also tackle on power and fit the box. So he's like the ideal sp- body type for that and skill set for that he can fly i'm guessing he's probably somewhere in the four fours he can really go and yeah i just he's like a legit 10 4 10 500 guy i think ten, wait 10 4 10 5 yeah 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 he can run run i i haven't looked at it in a while so i could be off by a tenth of a second but well, it doesn't matter we'll just say 10 5 it's serious speed for somebody okay. that's almost built like a linebacker if you're 10 7 or under you're legit four 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 five speed so yeah uh yeah so, and, and if he has if he has any ball skills making this transition, then you level up from Jabril Peppers to Eric Berry. Yeah, mm. yeah. And and we haven't seen him, you know, do a whole lot, and mm-hmm. he's making a switch to this position. So it's a, a little bit hard to forecast. Yeah. Hey, this guy's going to be Eric Berry level good because yeah. that man was insanely good at football. He can, and, and I do know I've seen enough to know he can tackle. Now the question will be. At that star position, you got a whole lot of data to process because that is a thinking spot. It's not like playing corner in Kirby's defense where you're you're in man or you're in zone. You either have the flats or deep. Like there's a lot of thinking at that star position, lots of combination routes to read. So I would be surprised if he's able to take that spot as a freshman. But with his athleticism, you would think he would get playing time there. 
I would expect that he might get a little bit more playing time at safety. I think especially okay. as the season goes on. Especially if Tyke Smith is playing star. Yeah, the same way that Scene played some at safety when he was a freshman. Mm-hmm. Well, Even though we good. had Reed and LeCount, it was like, oh, Scene is good. He's ready to play. They started doing some like three safety packages and stuff like that. And this past year, we actually ran some three safety packages when we didn't have enough mm-hmm. healthy cornerbacks and mm-hmm. we just <laughs> we had what we had. So I wouldn't be surprised if they find some ways to work him in like that. Or like you said, if Tyke Smith stays in the slot or is playing more in the slot and there's an open starting position at safety, but he's just, he's such a good athlete and such a good football player that it's hard to not see him getting at least some snaps. And then uh, Dalen Everett and Jaheim Singletary, who two guys, I have seen their film. They fit the current Georgia DB recruiting profile to a T, which is guys that are about six foot or six foot one twitchy with long arms, which is what a lot of people recruit, but Georgia will recruit guys that are less polished because they believe they can take that superior athleticism and coach it up into an NFL player. That's what you saw with Keely Ringo. If you watch the high school film, he's really fast and really twitchy. Same thing with Tyson Campbell. Same thing with Eric Stokes. They get those guys there, teach them technique, and by the end of the year, Keely Ringo looks like a guy that's going to be an all-ACC corner back as a sophomore. And by the time they're juniors, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell are top 100 players in the NFL draft. And so you would expect these two to be the next two that are in line to do that, just like you'd expect the same thing out of Nylon Green and some of the other guys from the 2021 class. Singletary, I remember being fairly polished, good ball skills, but just a reminder for people getting excited about this, and I say this every year, freshman DBs are rarely good. They can be contributors, but if you counted them as full-time starters, very rarely are they good. And the comparison I make here is Derek Stingley Jr. versus Kool-Aid McKinstry. Five-star elite prospects, both probably going to be first-round draft picks in the NFL. Stingley was unbelievable as a freshman. McKinstry, McKinstry was just okay as a freshman. He was good enough to start for Alabama, so he was actually good, obviously good. Yeah. But Georgia and Georgia got him pretty good in a couple of those and, and you can you can add in some of the other recent examples like Pat Sertan in Alabama, Tyson mm-hmm. Campbell at Georgia, mm-hmm. guys that you know are very good at football in the NFL right yep. now. Not really ready as freshmen, and so yeah, I think. For these guys, I'd put them definitely more in the contributing category. I would not expect them to be starting a whole lot of games. It's not impossible. Tyson Campbell started a lot of games his freshman year. Um, but, yeah, it's not super likely that they're going to be amazing. But because you don't have a lot of sets, you don't have a second set starter at the outside cornerback spot, and yeah. you don't have a lot of proven depth yet either, I'd expect them, at least one of them, to get on the field for a good bit of the season. I was going to say the same thing. The thing is, we're going to need it. I mean, from that group of Starks, Everett, Singletary, I would say at least one, if not more, of those guys are going to need to contribute. Mm. All right, guys. So, can we all agree that um, this is a class to be really excited about? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And the best commentary I can give you on this class is that this class is so good that we didn't even make it to talking about a four-star quarterback who's one of George's biggest recruiting targets in Gunnar Stockton out of Raven County. And this is a dude that, as a singer, threw for 55 touchdowns, ran for their 15, the total 70 touchdowns a single year, and the guy threw one interception. And we're not even talking about that guy. And just so you know, if you haven't seen him, you should be excited. I don't even know how to describe him or give you a comp for him because he's like 215, 220 pounds. He's got a rocket arm for his size, but is also a really good runner, straight line runner that 
can truck people like a fullback, but he's actually still kind of fast. He's got just this really crazy, unique skill set, and I think he's got a great shot of being the next starting quarterback after Stetson Bennett if he can beat out Carson Beck and another talented kid in Brock Vandergriff heading into fall camp. So we barely talked about him because there are so much other talent in this class that is going to contribute right away. And just to clarify here, we're about to run out of time here, but while this class is ranked third nationally, this is actually the second highest rated recruiting class ever under Kirby. Is that right, Scott? Yeah. And so not only should we be excited because this is an elite class, like an elite elite class, one of the best classes we've ever had here, but there are a lot of immediate contributors in this class. So all that said, it's looking good for us, Dog Nation. Scott, Jay, tell the people, adios. We're going to get out of here. Woo! Go dogs. <laughs> this has been David Bethay, Scott the Stat Assassin, and Dr. J for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.